Hello, welcome to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Join us each week as we hear from God's Word, as we seek to prayerfully proclaim the crucified Christ as Lord of all. Welcome to the Campus Bible Study Q&A podcast. Um, my name is Grace. I'm a second year trainee serving with the engineering faculty. And again, I'm joined by one of our campus pastors, Tim. Um, it's currently week three. Uh, Tim, do you have any stories that we, you would like to share um, with regards with what's been happening? Yeah, it's been really encouraging. It's great to be back. Thanks for joining us again on the podcast. On Tuesday night, we had a couple of the education and arts students join us for dinner. And it was really wonderful to hear some of their stories. I was really encouraged by one of the guys who was living in a residential college who's been working hard to have conversations with some of the other international students there mm. uh, about who Jesus is. Or there was uh, one of our first years who had a school friend invite themselves along to her Bible study. <laughs> not, not a Christian girl, but keen to find out more about Jesus. Uh, and she was maybe keen to come back. Or one of our second years was talking about wearing one of the mission shirts to class, really keen to be seen in her tutes as someone who follows Jesus and a conversation that came out of that, uh, working out who Jesus is. So uh, really encouraging. What about you? What's something you're thankful for this week? Yeah, uh, this week, um, meeting up with some of my engineering girls um, and encouraging them to think about who they can read Uncover John with and who they can meet up with um, on campus in this term. Uh, and uh, one of our girls who actually joined our Bible study uh, who's a first year, um, she has never been to church before, um, but she joined us because uh, one of her friends comes along to campus Bible study things, uh, and she's been to youth group a few times. Um, because of some scheduling things, she's not able to make Bible study anymore, but um, she was really keen to meet up with someone to read the Bible. And so um, it's exciting um, to uh, hopefully have an upper year, uh, meet up with her and read the Bible with her. Um, and yeah, that's been really cool. Yeah, we're just chatting on Monday as a staff team of how many people are meeting to read the Bible with first year students, many of mm. whom don't know Jesus. So that has been great. Yes. Um, just a reminder, uh, if you want to ask some questions um, about the Bible Talks, um, it would be great if you can submit your questions uh, to canvasbiblestudy.org slash tbt. Uh, we've got lots of great questions this week, um, and so we'll just get stuck right into it. Um, the first question comes from Sarah and Sophie, and they were interested in um, the pool of Bethesda um, in... John chapter 5, where the sick man uh, believes that if he um, is taken into it or put into the pool when the water is stirred, that he will be healed. Um, and they're sort of asking, what's going on with that? Does God really heal people in that way? It's a great question, and I think it's hard to be exactly sure what's going on. At least the text that we have in the ESV that we're reading, um, some might have skipped over it, but we kind of move from verse 3 to verse 5. It's missing verse 4. There's a little footnote that has some extra details. The text seems to just have this mentioned down in verse 7. Mm. The sick man answered, Jesus, sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. That's his answer to Jesus' question, do you want to be healed? The man seems to think that uh, his desire for healing is expressed by the fact that he's hanging out at this pool and when the water's stirred, he wants to get in there. Uh, the footnote seems to mention something that a, a scribe probably wrote in the margin at some point then got incorporated into manuscript at some point in time. Uh, not what John originally wrote, 
but perhaps this understanding that maybe it was an angel that stirred up the water and the first person in the pool somehow got healed from whatever disease they had. I think uh, in the talk I mentioned, I think this guy's just living in vain superstition. Mm. Uh, and I think that's because there's no clear promise from God that he would offer this healing. Mm. And these people don't seem to be trusting in God and his word, but seem to have this other story or myth or belief that seems to be ruling their lives, aligned day by day mm. with hope uh, that God would do this for them. Um, there may be some basis to it. Something might have happened at some point in time. Uh, as Sophie was asking, did this ever heal? Would God heal people in this way? Uh, I guess I'm not sure that it ever did happen. Mm. Um, but I think we clearly see that the, the pool, the water, it's a vain hope that Jesus truly has the power to heal. As he shows in an instant mm. as this man, invalid for 38 years. Uh, but that must just be terribly demoralizing and crushing to lie there 38 years, day on day, not able to get in the water, no hope. Mm. Uh, but Jesus shows that with him, uh, there's true deliverance. And that, well, causes me to long for heaven and the time when there'll be no more vain superstition, but just glorious mm. new creation. That's really helpful. Um, we're going to move on to the next question. Uh, and this question is from Reese. Uh, he asks, how, where do we get the idea that the work of God is also speaking his words to others, not just believing him? Yeah, Reese, it's a good question. We were moving quickly when we got to that. Uh, <laughs> it came... Partly out of chapter 6, uh, from chapter 6 and verse 27, Jesus said to the crowds, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Follow him, God the Father has set his seal. Mm. Then they said to him, What must we be doing to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So we clearly saw that believing in Jesus is the work of God. I think Reese is on board with that. Mm. It's when I said that the work of God includes telling others about him that I think that's Reese's question. Mm -hmm. And I went back to chapter 4. Uh, it's really interesting as Jesus is there waiting uh, at the well with the disciples. He's just spoken to the Samaritan woman. She's gone into town to mm. proclaim the good news that she thinks she's met the Christ. And Jesus starts talking to the disciples, again thinking about work and food. Uh, for many in that culture, the idea of working for food that perishes probably involved some farming, growing some veggies, uh, or a bit more than just that. And that was the provision. So when Jesus says in verse 35, Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I take it that labor, that work that's being talked about, would typically be understood as farming for food that perishes. But Jesus seems to be saying that there's actually a work here that's going on that isn't about farming, but it's about people coming to receive eternal life. And these chapters make really clear that the way that you receive eternal life is by hearing Jesus' words, which may be for those who were in front of him, listening to his voice. But I take it as also those who heard the testimony of the woman or the disciples or even us today. And so as Jesus talks about his disciples entering into that labor, it seems that there is a work not just about believing in Jesus, but also about speaking in Jesus, about receiving eternal life for ourselves and even sharing that life with others. I think we see that with the Samaritan woman. 
Yeah, I think her example was really amazing in that um, as soon as she leaves Jesus after the conversation, she goes immediately into town um, and speaks um, to the people and tell them to come and see this man, um, asking the question, can this be the Christ, um, which is really cool. Um, I guess we were kind of still thinking, I'm not sure if you, ha you have any thoughts or you want to pass this on, whether there's that difference of the sower and the reaper, uh, and whether there's a distinct role with the disciples uh, and with Jesus. Yeah, it's interesting language. Uh, and I think he's still playing off the idea of the food that they eat and the food that they, uh, or this eternal harvest. So in verse 35, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Is that when they go into town to buy food? Or is that when they're going to talk to these people who are ready for the harvest of eternal life? And I think it, there's a kind of intentional um, ambiguity as he's playing with this metaphor. Uh, and I think there's a reminder that as we tell others about Jesus and invite them to trust in Him. Uh, it's not just the work that one person does. Sometimes we enter into the labor of others. God's been preparing ground. Uh, we see that picture in 1 Corinthians 3 uh, where Apollos, well, Paul planted and Apollos watered, mm. but God gives the growth. And so we see the, this idea that you know, there are others involved in the process. And so maybe as a reminder that we trust in that. Uh, there's the invitation I take it that now is a time for harvesting, for, for gathering people for eternal life. Mm. Um, and the I think also the woman's example is really helpful because sometimes we can get hung up on, you know, where's the command that we need to tell people about Jesus? Uh, I think she shows us that it's the joyful and natural response to meeting Jesus. Yeah. Um, I was also thinking about in Ephesians 4 where it talks about work. It says, let the thief no longer steal, um, but let him do honest work with his hands that he may provide for himself and even have something to share with those in need. Uh, that idea that you work to provide not just for yourself but also for others, I wonder if that's what we see here, that in spiritual work, we work not just to receive life ourselves but also to be able to share it with others, uh, mm. which seems to, to fit with the picture of evangelism. And it was Ephesians 4.28 mm. uh, as a reference there. Yeah, Some ideas. Yeah, such a good a reminder of the privilege it is that we brought into the Lord's work and that we can participate in it. Um, the next question we have uh, comes from three of our friends, uh, Chris, uh, Lockie and Simon. All three have asked uh, about John 5 verse 29. Um, and the question is, uh, is this talking about salvation by works? Um, and so if we read from chapter 5, from verse 24 to 29, it reads, Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment, because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So maybe they're referring um, to the idea of those who have done good. Is that talking about salvation by works? What do you think? Yeah, thanks for reading that. It's really helpful to see it in its context. When you look at verse 29 on its own, you just go, done good, done evil. Mm. It sounds like it's a reward or perhaps even a punishment. 
for the life that we've lived. But seeing it in context, one of the things about narrative, John, uh, in this case, and other narrative writers, they place ideas next to each other. They don't have the same kind of tight logical flow uh, as mm. some of the epistles do. But I think the point is still quite clear. It's set up in verse 24. Jesus, this truly, truly, I say to you, he says it, I think, 25 times through John. It's his way of underlining a statement. It's making it bold. And his headline is, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Doesn't come into judgment. He's passed from death to life. And then verse 25 flows straight on from that. Another bold headline. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, he doesn't mention belief in verse 25, but I'm assuming that that's just part of the context of verse 24, that you still need to believe. Not everyone who hears will receive that life. But hearing in verse 25 seems to encapsulate that idea of belief as well. And if that's the requirement for eternal life, I take it verses 28 and 29, then continue to build on this idea that you need to hear the voice of Jesus and believe in Him to receive eternal life, to avoid judgment and pass from death to life. And so I take it the context is showing us that the great good that you can do is to listen to Jesus, to honor Him as who God says He is. Uh, We read that's how you honor the Father, by honoring the Son, by believing what God has said about His Son. And the great evil is to reject God's offer to continue to live in rebellion against God and to not listen to Jesus, God in the flesh who's come to offer us life, who would even give his life so that we could be saved. And so uh, to our friends, to Chris, to Lockie, to Simon, uh, I don't think this is uh, a new doctrine. And as we read it in the context, it seems quite clear. The great call is to be those who hear and believe and to receive God's great offer of forgiveness. Uh, And the great good, the best good that we can do is the work of God to believe in His Son, to proclaim that glorious forgiveness to others. Mm. And the great evil is to reject God's offer that cost His own, the life of His own Son. Uh, so let us be those who do hear and mm. live. Yeah, thanks. That's really helpful. Um, it kind of reminds me of what we looked at in John 3, uh, when Jesus reminds Nicodemus that it is only those who are born again of water and of the Spirit who can enter into the kingdom of God, not by works. Yeah, only mm. ever God's gift. Thanks for that. Um, That was really helpful. Um, uh, As we finish up for next week, um, what should we be thinking about uh, as we prepare for the next couple of chapters of John? Yeah, again, we are racing along. Chapters 7, 8 and 9. Do read them. It's really helpful to think through uh, some of the, the detail and the ideas before we get to it in the Bible talks. I think one of the big ideas that comes up in these chapters is the idea of truth. And how you can be confident that you have the truth or that you've heard the truth. So maybe that's something that you can keep in mind as you read these chapters and prepare for the Bible talk next week. Do you want to finish up in prayer for us, Grace? I would love to. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, thank you for um, the truth uh, that your son Jesus has revealed to us. That he is the only way that there is life. um, And that he uh, gives this gift uh, to all people who will hear and believe and receive him. Lord, we thank you um, and we pray that you'll help us to continue to um, rejoice in this truth um, and share it with those around us. And I pray in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in this week to the Campus Bible Study Podcast. Make sure that you're subscribed on your regular podcasting app. And why don't you check us out on Facebook, YouTube, or visit our website at campusbiblestudy.org.